0: Hey, before we dismiss our kids, we just thought we would just take a moment in our service to welcome the Bell family. I got a text late on Thursday night. We were out watching the fireworks from Pastor Jamie, and he said, we are in Virginia. And so we were all cheering and uh, so excited that they're here. Uh, Newest member of our pastoral team. He's going to be bivocational for a season, and then he's going to be the campus pastor uh, in Williamsburg. So we thought we would have them come and uh, and say hello to us tonight. So can you give them a warm city life welcome, as they come.
1: Thanks, Pastor Fred. Thanks you. Uh, thank you guys for allowing us to have a moment here to speak. This is my wonderful family. I know you've seen a picture of them uh, for the past couple of weeks, but this is our beautiful little daughter, Rylan. She's a little firecracker. She's an amazing little girl. She wanted to say hi to you real quick. So Rylan, you want to say hi?
0: Hi.
1: Okay, there we go. So, so this is Braden. He's our amazing son. He's our eight-year-old. He's uh, an incredible kid. He wants to be a pastor one day, and so he loves Jesus. So he's living for the Lord. He's awesome. This is my beautiful wife, and uh, the, it's true. Behind every good man, there's a more amazing woman. And uh, I wish I was a better man just to show how truly incredible this woman really is. And so she's phenomenal. And we are so excited to be here. Uh, It's just incredible um, how this whole thing has worked out and what God has done. Uh, I don't think you could write it or predict um, what was going to happen a few months ago as God would begin to work in our hearts when we were in Missouri, working out a church there, and uh, just began to transition us. And we were like, okay, God, what is it you want us to do? And just amazing things began to unfold as we looked to him, called to him, and uh, talked to Pastor Fred. And it's just been amazing to see what God does. And I uh, just thought of Psalm 31 uh, just earlier, just thinking of it, that just, you know, how great is the goodness of God for those who fear him. When you turn to him, he just lavishes it on you. In front, And he blesses you in front of a watching world. And I just thought about that, that in this time we were just uncertain and questioning things. But God has then, just as we look to him, blessed us. And people that we know, people in our family, our friends, they've seen God's blessing. Their faith has been encouraged. Our faith has been encouraged. We've been strengthened to know that God has a purpose and a plan. And we are so excited to be here with you guys, serving alongside of you, serving you. And uh, helping this community and helping the community of Williamsburg to know Jesus Christ and to give their lives to him. And so thank you so much for all that you've done for us, your prayers and uh, your kind gestures. And uh, thank you for everything. All right, we want to dismiss our kids, so you can keep clapping. We'd like to make some noise
0: for our children. They're heading out to workshop. Hey, too, before we... uh launch into tonight's message, which is the, uh, the, the final part four of our series. I have a, a book at an early uh, breakfast meeting on, a, on July 4th with a friend and he has always giving me books. And so I already had this one. This is by Timothy Keller favorite one of my favorite authors it's uh, called generous justice how God's grace makes us just he's a, he's just an amazing writer if you ever have a chance to read anything by him his book prodigal God is it's a a, a a book on the story of the parable of the prodigal son so anyways I've been praying since Thursday about who to give this to so I was praying for Dave today and I just felt like God said to give that to him and give him something on his journey to read and he can remember us so bless your brother yeah So part four, I hope that you have enjoyed this series. As much as I have, I, it's, it's been a series, I think, where it's, it's it's one of those times where I've been preaching to myself as much as I've been challenging you. And so I, just, it's, I think it's been foundational for our church to talk about where we're going to go together in our future as disciples together. And so, you know, we've been having some fun playing off of this theme of the popular show, uh, 24, who, you know, rumor has it they're supposed to come back out with that uh, this summer. So we'll, we'll see if that holds true. But we've kind of been playing off of how the show were and borrowing from that to talk about a mission that we're on, that you and I have a mission that we're called to, a mission to being and making disciples. That's Revelation 12, 11. We kind of did a big recap on that last week, so you can listen to the podcast if you want to get up to speed on that. And also the notes for all the sermon uh, series are up online. I gave the last two uh, today to Ryan, so he's going to get those up on the web. But we have a mission, time is short, and evil must not win. And Revelation 12, 11 tells us that being and making disciples it is our secret weapon and this idea of a disciple is a biblical concept it's not about what we do it's about who we become Now, is there a lot of doing involved in Christianity? Is there a lot of doing involved in being a Christ follower? If you're a devoted follower of Christ, you know that we like to say here at City Life that we're going to ask you to break a sweat in a spiritual sense. There's work to be done, but the work that we do, the effort that we give ourselves to, it's about an end game, and the end game is being someone. The end game is the person that we become. And so we have introduced to our church 24 virtues. Now we get these out of what George Wood calls the five great growth lists. I list those in the notes of the outline. So again, you can download that if you want to check that out. And if you overlay all five of those great growth lists and take out the ones that I think overlap, these are the 24 I think we end up with. Gentle, self-control, persevering. Kindness, goodness, wisdom. Faith, truthful, merciful, hospitable, and patience. Devoted, meek, emotionally honest, desiring righteousness, peaceful, faithfulness, humble, serving, fervent, joy, hope, love, and affectionate. We said last week, if we painted with words, this is the portrait of a disciple of Christ and this is the person that... All of our efforts, the sweat that we break in this journey as a devoted follower of Christ, we're working to become this person that's painted for us in these five great growth lists. The disciple we want to be, the disciple that we want others to become, it's spelled out in the story of these 24 virtues. 1, 6, and 12 is how we get there. If you've been a part of the City Life Church, you know that the 1 is our message. We call it heaven now, heaven forever. It comes from John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. Psalm 27.13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's the great promise that he gives to you. It's the great promise that he gives to me. We believe in a life that is both full and forever. That eternal life is measured on the time continuum, but also the depth continuum. That's the one. It's His big promise. And if I want to have that, I've got to fulfill the six. And the six are His great commands. I think all the teachings of Jesus can be distilled and can be grounded in His six great commands where He says, follow me, speaking of Himself. Love God. Love one another. Be ye therefore perfect. Right? That's a mouthful. It just gives us pause, doesn't it? His mercies are new every morning. Go into all the world and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We take those those six and we restate them in a way that maybe helps us to understand what they look like. It looks like devotion to Christ. It looks like intimacy with God. It looks like the care of one another. It looks like an appetite for personal transformation, which means that we never have the freedom to say, this is as far as I'm going to go. We don't get to retire spiritually. It means that there is diligence in ministry. That we're busy in building the kingdom of God. And it means that we're seeking a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if I want to fulfill those six, then I've got to walk in the 12. I'm going to show that list in just a few minutes. Those are the pathways. If I want to have the one... I have to fulfill the six, and if I want to fulfill the six, I've got to walk in the 12. And when you do that, when you give your life to that journey, when I give my life to that journey, we create an environment that enables those 24 to flourish. Now, we're going to be talking about in the years to come, we're going to break down those 24. We're going to teach on all 24 of those things. We're going to make some more probably practical connections between things that you can do to help those 24 operate in your life. But we're starting the series by just making this blanket statement. It all begins with an environment that you have to create a spiritually healthy environment in your life in order for those 24 to grow. We could teach you the practical things that you need to do, but if you're not creating an environment that enables them to flourish, then all that doing is going to frustrate you. Does that make sense? You create a setting and an environment for those 24 to flourish, and the 1, the 6, and the 12, they take us there. Now, in the series, we've been sharing some various Proverbs because it reminds us it requires some effort. It reminds us that we just can't sit back and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Do your work. There's there's work that we have to do. Again, the work's not our end game. Being is who we are trying to become, but the doing gets us there. I love this one. Proverbs 24 says, the lazy man, the lazy woman, the lazy person will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. There's another one I, I, I found this week that that I have read before, I, I enjoy it, it says the sluggard, it won't, won't go out and work because there's a lion outside, right? The idea that you keep coming across in Proverbs is that lazy people always find a reason to not do what they're supposed to do. That, that lazy people will always find an excuse to not be productive. Now, those Proverbs are given to us for, for lessons in our material life about work ethic, but they're also a metaphor for our spiritual life. There's work to be done. And you're going to be, always be able to find an excuse why you shouldn't read your Bible. You're always going to be able to find an excuse why you shouldn't pray. You're always going to be able to find an excuse why you, you shouldn't be generous. You with me? You're, excuses are easy to find, but we don't want to be that person. I, I found this little anecdotal story this week. I thought I would share it with you. This is after the dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the backseat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that pastor said he wanted us to grow up in a, in a Christian home and uh, I don't know, I want to stay with you guys. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey, we don't want that to be the story for kids. You with me? We, we laugh at that, right? We hear that. We find the humor in that. But, but then we get to a place where maybe our smile turns into a serious moment of reflection. And we ask the question, when our children look at us, Is that their story? Or are they finding the story of the 24 virtues that were on that screen? You with me? Our first mission field begins in our home. Husbands, wives, dads, moms, those kids that are entrusted to us, the ones that we just released out there, the ones that are being held in the nursery, the ones that maybe some of you have just most recently brought home from the hospital, they should find in us the example to follow. We want them to grow up disciples of Jesus because of who we are, not in spite of who we are, and we want to be a church that helps you get there, not just for you, but for the generation that is to come. So in this series, we're talking about 12 principles. We've worked through eight. We're going to wrap up four this weekend. They're not the 12 pathways. They're the 12 principles that govern the 12 pathways. If these 12 pathways are going to bear fruit in our life, we need to understand the dynamics that the Bible gives us for how they work and how they operate. So because I have an alliteration addiction, you know they all start with a C. We've joked about that enough already. So so here are the eight we've covered. Concurrence, concatenation, completeness, and connection, then Last week we did Comprehension, Conviction, Covenant, and Changelessness. Again, you can get that on the web. You can download the notes. But we talked about all eight of those in great detail as principles. And we're going to do the last four tonight that will bring us home. And can I just say, too, that you guys are in for a real treat for the next couple of weeks. Because Pastor Justin is preaching next week, and he is an amazing, I, I'm telling you, what, when he preaches, you, you should say, well, I can't wait for my kids to be teenagers to be under that ministry. So, so he's gonna, we're taking our summer break, and then, uh, and then the week after that, a good friend of ours, Danny Escobar, uh, who pastors a Latino congregation up in D.C., is going to be coming the weekend after. So the next two weekends, I'm just putting a plug in for those. Those are going to be great weekends together as a church family. All right, so we're going to do four tonight. You ready? All right, so just we've been doing a little recap. We've been just kind of getting your attention dialed in. And so we're going to do this. This is number nine. It is the principle of conspicuousness. The principle of conspicuousness. When we look at this list, we have some sense of feeling, well, of course, these are important for everyone and for anyone who wants to grow as a disciple because we have the mind of Christ. These 12, when you look at this list, if you, are devo- if you are a devoted follower of Christ, there is a self-evidencing quality about them. Even if you don't understand everything about everyone, there is something inside of you that when you look at this list and says, well, of course, these are things that I need to be about if I'm a follower of Christ. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there, you can flip there, press there, however you get there. And I'm going to start with Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Proverbs 8, 1 through 9. Listen as wisdom calls out. Here is understanding, raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroad by the gates at the entrance to the town. On the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you, I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me. For I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There is nothing devious or crooked in it. My words, listen to this part, my words are plain. They're conspicuously true. My words are plain to anyone with understanding. We're going to talk about who that is and why that's us as devoted followers of Christ. Clear, clear, it has clarity to those with knowledge. Right. Let me jump over to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 20. Now I'm going to take it all the way to the end of the chapter. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, you, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish in your mocking? How long, you fools, hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no no attention. You ignored my advice, rejected the correction I offered, so I will laugh when you are in trouble. This is strong language, isn't it, from God to us. I will mock when your disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and they chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living, of living their own way, choking on their schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. But all who listen to me, listen, this is a great promise. For all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear or harm. God loves us enough to take us wherever we need to go to get our attention. He loves you enough to let you go through the hardships that we need to go through, that I need to go through to learn the lessons that we need to learn. There is this idea of the principle of conspicuous means that when we look at that list of 12, God says to you and he says to me, if you're not doing these things, you take on the responsibility that you bear for the hardships that you find yourself in if you get there through your own disobedience. Now, there's suffering that we come to in this life. It's another sermon for another time. You've heard me call it before, redemptive affliction, right? It's the suffering that we do in innocence, but there's also suffering like we read about here in Proverbs. It's because of our direct disobedience to God. You and I are without excuse when it comes to this list of 12. It's not as though that when we look at this list as devoted followers of Christ that we have the freedom to say to God, God, I just didn't know. Because he gives us texts like this in Proverbs. He says, hey, my spirit is like it's standing on the street following you around all the days of your life, calling out to you with a loud voice that's impossible to not hear. The only way we not hear it is if we're walking around like this. You with me? God says to you and he says to me, I've shown you the way. You've got to be the one that chooses to walk in them. Now, I keep referring to this idea of of if you're a devoted follower of Christ, they're conspicuous because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he uses this great phrase about us having the mind of Christ, and if you read that text, we're not going to go there, but if you're a note taker, you can write it down, that there's some things that seem like foolishness to people who aren't devoted followers of Christ, but then to those of us who are devoted followers of Christ, there's a plainness to them because the Spirit of God, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, we call it you take your first spiritual breath, we believe that the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. It renews your mind. It enables you to begin to discern things that for you before were undiscernible. As a devoted follower of Christ, the same Spirit of God that created the world in the beginning of time lives inside of us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. And He's loud. Are you with me? Most of us grow up learning the story, right, on the flannel board in Sunday school about about him having a still, small voice. Well, he does have a still, small voice sometimes when that's what we need to hear, but it's really one of the only few times in Scripture that really talks about God being quiet. Everywhere else in the Bible, through the Psalms and in Revelation, you you read about a God who's loud, like the sound of rushing waters. He has a voice that is deafening. Proverbs, he's the voice of wisdom that's calling out from the streets, imploring us to give ourselves to these pathways so that our lives can be changed and transformed so that we can become the disciples he's called us to be. Scripture prayer, worship, fasting, relationships, gathering, reaching, accountability, stewardship, generosity, rest, and service. You can find them on our website as our core values. These are our pathways. This is the doing part of Christianity. These are the 12 that I must walk in if I'm going to fulfill the six and have the one and create an environment that allows these 24 virtues to flourish in my life. And throughout every year, we're always peppering our sermons with these pathways in different ways. When we get back from from vacation, we're going to launch a new sermon here called Mayhem. You ever seen the, the Allstate commercials? You know, don't you love, I love those commercials, right? I love the one with the banner or the teenage girl in, in the parking lot. So we're going to do a series, I think it's going to be about eight weeks, entitled Mayhem, and we're going to talk about uh, about avoidable problems that you can have in your life. And so I think we're definitely going to talk about rest as one of those, because that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of us have problems in our life is we're giving ourselves the rest that we need. So we're going to hit that and some others, so we're going to have some fun with that series. But those are the 12. The principle of conspicuousness. Now let's talk about the principle of confrontation. I like this one. This is an important phrase for us as a church. The blood of Jesus is an impenetrable veil of protection that can only be breached through our sin or his sovereignty. I want to read that one again. The blood of Jesus is an impenetrable veil of protection that can only be breached through our sin or his sovereignty. Sovereignty. I'm going to read Psalm 91 in just a minute. But in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us that the devil is like a lion roaming about seeking whom he might devour. And then in Matthew 4, we read this powerful statement where it's after Jesus was baptized. It says that the Spirit of God is the one that led him in the desert to face Satan. And that's, It gives us some pause, doesn't it? It's God who took him there. Now we read about temptation in the Bible, and we know the book of James tells us that God will never tempt us, but he most certainly does test us. And the difference between temptation and testing, it's not semantics, they're very strong definitions. When you tempt someone, you're hoping they fail. You're presenting them with something with the hope and the desire that that person's going to fail. That's a temptation, that's what the devil does to us. Testing is something positive. God tests us. There's moments where we test each other in healthy ways. It's putting people in challenging situations with the hope that they're going to succeed and knowing that when they do, they grow as a person. God is going to test us a lot all the days of our lives. And the devil's going to spend his time trying to tempt us. Now, if you're here tonight and these 12 pathways have not been a part of your journey, maybe you've been with us for this series and something inside of you is saying, I know that I need to get busy on my journey and being a disciple. When I look at that list of 12 things, too few of them are active in my life. There's a principle of confrontation that says that, hey, the devil is going to try to resist you. Evil is active in this world and it's going to try to keep you from doing the things that God wants you to do. He's going to try to stop you from becoming the person that you're supposed to become. And whether it be a moment of temptation that evil presents to you, or whether it be a moment of testing that God brings you in, there is a confrontation that we're gonna step into at times in our lives, and we're teaching on this tonight, it could be a whole series unto itself, not so that you are afraid of those moments, but so that you're empowered, so that you know whether or not God takes you there like He took Jesus there, or whether it's a moment of temptation like it was again with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when the devil sought him out, that there should be a sense of confidence If you're a devoted follower of christ that the blood of christ that was shed for you and i is an impenetrable veil of protection we don't have to go through life afraid of what the devil can do to us because he can't do anything to us unless god gives permission or we step out into a place of rebellion and make ourselves spiritually vulnerable it shouldn't frighten us it should cause us to feel empowered does that make sense that if I choose well, I minimize the influence that evil can have in me, and if even in my innocence I find myself in a place of testing, well, then you're there through the sovereignty of God, and you find hope in that because you know that He's never going to put you in a situation that's beyond what you can bear. If you're new as a follower of Christ, you should be ready that the evil that's active and at work in this world is going to try to derail you. It's what He does. We don't believe the devil's the boogeyman or the things that you read about or see on TV, but he is real. The Bible tells us that he's a real entity, that he was an angel that at one point was in heaven and when he fell in a moment of rebellion and many angels followed them, we believe that those are real entities and real beings. They're real spiritual beings. that are Whatever you want to call them, evil spirits or demons, it doesn't matter what you name them. We just know that it's the reality. They exist in this world. And they exist in this world to thwart God's plan and to stop you from becoming the person that you're supposed to be. But we have a secret weapon. It's us being the disciple that we're supposed to become. And we need not fear the evil that's in the world because we know that greater is he who's with us than he that's in the world. So in the summer of 1990, I've been telling a lot about my story as part of this series when I was really wrestling whether or not I was going to take this step of, of allowing God to govern me we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, this idea of the governance of God and just stepping into a place of complete surrender. And so I told a story last week about when I was living in Chaco Bottom on North 19th Street, and, and I had not made that decision to become a follower of Christ yet. And so one day I was there. During the day, I was a bartender, and so I would be up late at night and then sleeping during the day. And so all my roommates, they had real jobs, and so they were off uh, at work. And so I'm asleep, and then all of a sudden I'm awakened because I hear the front door open and close. And so when I, when I wake up, I was surprised I couldn't move. I couldn't, I couldn't talk. And I had this intense feeling of terror. Now I know that there's medical descriptions that can explain moments like that. And, 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 and maybe that was part of it. I, all I know is that I'm going to tell you about three experiences that I have that have solidified in me that evil is real in the world. And so there I'm, I'm laying and I have this sense of there's an evil entity in the room with me and I'm just, I'm petrified and I'm terrified and it lasted for several minutes. And so finally it goes away and then you begin to rationalize and justify it. You know, I must have just been a bad dream and eventually I drift back off to sleep. Several weeks later, I'm upstairs. It's in the middle of the night and the same thing happens. I'm awakened and this time I have a distinct feeling that there's three entities that are standing at the foot of my bed that are mocking me. And if I could have cried out for one of my friends, I would have done it. But I couldn't, I couldn't talk, I couldn't move, petrified and terrified. Same thing happens, it goes away and I just say, yeah, it's just in my mind, you know, it's just a bad dream. So months go by, and in December of 1990, I make a vow of devotion to Christ. I move out of that because sometimes you've got to take practical things, right? You've got to get yourself in a healthy environment. We talked about that in the series, that bad company corrupts good character. So I moved out of that house, moved back in with my parents and was trying to get my life back on track and started going to the church where they attended. And so uh, one afternoon, I was resting, and no one was there, and uh, all the same thing. I hear the front door open to the house. It wakes me up, can't move can't talk, and I have this sense of a a presence that comes into the room laughing and mocking and saying things to me like, who do you think you are? You're never going to change, right? But see, it's a different game now. You with me? Because there's something living inside of me that wasn't in me before. There's a person that I am now that I wasn't before. And so as I'm laying there, I'm able to say through the strength of God inside of me, in the name of Jesus, And in that moment, I haven't had a lot of visions in my life, but I have this vision that in this moment, that God grabbed me and just pulled me up off of the earth and I saw a road that was beneath my feet and it was dotted yellow lines and they began to move faster and faster and faster until those dotted yellow lines became one single yellow line. And I made a decision for Christ in December of 1990, but it was a few months later. That was the time I was reborn, but this is the time I was set free. And from that moment forward, who I was on the inside was different. The things that I longed for, the things that I desired, they just were not a part of who I was any longer. And I have never in my life had any other, now I've encountered presence of evil at other times like in my life, but not like that, not as a personal affront to me, or not in a way where I felt like they had control over me. Does that make sense? If you're here, and you're new to your journey, I'm not telling you that story because we're trying to scare you tonight. We're telling you the story to say, there's a principle, it's called the principle of confrontation. And he is, as Peter said, like a lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you have authority that he does not want you to learn about. You have authority over him that he doesn't want you to figure out. You have authority over him because he cannot do anything to you because the blood of Christ is an impenetrable veil of protection. That can only be breached through our sin and his sovereignty. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers on high. Evil is real in the world, and we don't have to be afraid of it. We're supposed to take authority over it. You need to learn that. I need to learn that. If we're parents, we've got to get it right because we need to teach our children that. Oh, I like this psalm. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night. Come on, that was very real for me nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. Doesn't mean we're not going to face evil. It just means that it won't conquer us. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will answer and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. I hope that's a psalm that you spend a lot of time reading in your life, and it should be a psalm that you share with your kids. You want them to grow up with a sense of confidence and who they are as a devoted child of God. All right, the principle of centrality. I'm just going to touch on this one, the principle of centrality. Matthew 6.33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or you could say, make being a disciple the priority of your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. It's the principle of centrality. If you put the first things first in your life, so many other things just work themselves out. It challenges us to remember that the rest of everything in our lives is dependent upon our diligence and pursuit of being a disciple. And Matthew 6.33 opens with this word, seek. It's a verb. It requires action, and Jesus gives it to us as a command. He's saying to you and to me, you've got to break a sweat. There's work that you've got to do. There's stuff that I'm going to do. There's stuff that I'm always going to do in your life, but there's work that you have to do. And that's hard for us sometimes because our whole Christian journey begins with God being the initiator and sometimes we fall under the deception of the myth that says, well, if that's how it began with me, then I'm going to wait for God to initiate with, for me with the rest of my life. And you're going to be waiting for a long time and you're going to miss out on a lot because it changes. John six forty four, Jesus says, no one can come after me unless he who sent me draws him. But then you get to James 4, 8. It doesn't contradict it. It talks to us about the change that we undergo from when we were away from God to becoming a child of God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Your journey as a follower of Christ begins by God initiating with you because you don't have the capacity to initiate with him. Even if you thought it was your first thought, God put it there. But once you're born into the kingdom, once you become a part of the family of God, once you take your first spiritual breath, guess what he says to you and me? Okay, now it's your turn. He still initiates with us. He still comes after us. He still chases after us. But there's also times where he steps back and says, no, hey, it's your turn to pursue me. It's a reciprocal relationship. And this idea of the principle of centrality means that it's incumbent upon you, it's incumbent upon me to get these 12 pathways working in our lives. It's the way that we engage. It's the way that we initiate. It's the way that we pursue. There might be some things in your life that you're frustrated about that haven't happened, or maybe you're frustrated because they are happening, and God's saying, hey, if you would just focus on these pathways, a lot of that stuff would just take care of itself. I was praying through the, this message this week, and I thought to myself, I wonder if sometimes I'm just too nice as a pastor. I wonder if sometimes I'm just too nice. I, I wonder if sometimes when people call, and I love those calls. We put my phone number is not private. We put it out there. If you, we take our calls. We answer them. Facebook, however you want to get in touch with us. But I wonder sometimes when people call me and they're having a problem, if I shouldn't start the conversation. Well, well I, want, I want to hear about your problem. But before we go there, I'm going to send you a list of 12 things. And I want you to look at that list, and I want you to tell me honestly how active those 12 things are in your life, and then we'll talk. I'll call you back. I I, I might not hear back from those people. I recognize that, right? But what if they send that list back, and they go, you know what, Fred, i tell you the truth, maybe only one of those, and maybe sometimes. My response would probably be, right, well, I'm going to give you three. You do them. I mean, like your life depends on it for the next 30 days and we'll just, let's just see what happens. You with me? So much of the junk in our life, it's because we're not honoring the principle of centrality. And I'm not saying that if you give your life to these 12 pathways, you're going to, be an, you're going to live a trouble-free life. We know that that's not true. I'm just saying I want all the trouble in my life to be trouble that God sends me to test me. I'm, just, I'm tired of my trouble being from my own foolishness. You with me? There's just a refreshing to know as you look forward into your tomorrows. I know that trouble is going to face me, but I just want it to be less because of my own stupidity and more because of his sovereignty. That's what I want my journey to be about. So if you call me this week, I'm not going to answer because I will be on vacation. But after that, I may send you a list of 12 things. All right. Principle of Christ. We're finishing with this one for a reason. The principle of Christ, it's number 12. Revelation twenty one five says, behold, I make all things new. It's one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. We joked about it some time ago. I don't remember which sermon series it was in. But, you know, if you're reading in Revelation, and it talks about, you know, it's, we're going to be there forever in, in heaven if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. You know, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, numbers that are bigger than we can understand, right? At some point, if, you're, if, if you've had thoughts like I've had thoughts, you think to yourself, well, Maybe I'm going to get bored after the first 500,000 years, right? We've been doing this same song for a long time. But when we read Revelation 21.5, we realize that, that we are ascribing the limitations of our natural experience into a heavenly place, and you can't do that. So you and I look at that and we think, okay, after 500,000 years, right? Because you read about the elders that they're bowing before the, the, the glassy sea, they're casting down the crowns and they keep saying the same thing over and over and there's nothing to tell us in Scripture that that ever changes. So they've been doing that right for a long time and they're going to do it for eternity and something inside of us says, I'm glad I'm not one of those elders because, wow, I'm not sure I could just do that over and over. No, 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 no. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. For each of those elders, it's hard for us to get our brain around it. That's the principle of comprehension, like we talked about last week. You got to let your heart get out in front of your head. For them, it's fresh every time. That's just how powerful the glory of God is. It's the principle of Christ that He makes all things new. So I took my boys to see World War Z, right? They're getting up to that age now where we can have some fun and some of those movies that frighten you a little bit. So I was all excited. I was just as excited as they were. They were excited to go see it. I was excited to take them to see it, you know? So, Dad, you're waiting for these moments, right, where you can share in some of these things. For Ethan, he's not in here. You know, I've got a DVD collection. I'm a big film guy. And so, and so every now and again, he brings out Platoon. Can we see this one yet? I was like, no, got to put that one back. Uh, we're not watching that for a long time. Come see me when we're 18, right? They've got, he's got some, right? He's got his eyes out. I can't wait till. I see, We played a horrible trick on him because that's just how we roll at the Michaud House. But, but uh, I took them on my hunt. I like to go on a bird hunt for my birthday every year and, and, and on the other side of Richmond. And so uh, the boys, we, it's a long drive, and so they were gonna wa- they, we let them watch a DVD. So we took the DVD they were going to watch, which is The Patriot with Mel Gibson. And Derek and I took that DVD out and put it inside the platoon case. So when Ethan got in the car, we pulled that out. He's like, come on! And we're like, no, just kidding, right? So Anyway, we're mean like that. So maybe I'm not as nice as I thought I was. So we're walking through the movie theater, and and Ethan says to me, right, he has this epiphany. As as a 10-year-old, he he has this revelation. He says, Dad, when you buy a ticket to the movie, you could just keep going to movies for the rest of the day. Right? I mean, it's a revelation. He's like, whoa! And at the Hampton AMC, right, I don't know if you know this, but during the week, if it's not a, a new release, during the week, even at night, tickets are just five bucks. It's a great deal. So he's thinking... Could spend five dollars and watch five you know I could just keep watching movies so I said well you could but that would be dishonest and so that's why we don't do that but most people don't do it because of the law of diminishing marginal returns it's the same reason you go to a paper box and there's lots of papers in there and and you open it up and you could take all the papers but you don't because the value of having the second paper is so little you won't even steal it even though it's free So for most people, one movie is enough. There's just, there's a redundancy. I'm explaining this to him, right? And he's looking at me and he's thinking, right? Could I just have some quarters to play the video game, right? Because that's part of parenting, right? Asking our kids to endure our teaching them. But it's an important concept. Because at some point, he's going to get a little bit older and we'll talk about some of the deeper things, like what we're talking about tonight. With Jesus, nothing ever gets old because he makes all things new. Because His glory is just that captivating. And when you get all 12 of these pathways working in your life, the feeling of redundancy and meaningful, meaningless repetition, it's reduced. It doesn't go away because we still suffer from our humanity. But what I find in my own life, if there's ever a hint of redundancy, if there's ever even a hint of a feeling inside of me, do I really have to do this again? It's typically because some of the other pathways, I've let them slip. If your Bible reading is monotonous to you, it's probably because you're not practicing worship enough. You with me? If your Bible reading is getting boring, it might be because you're not reaching out to other people enough. That's the principle of connection that we talked about in this series. The more you get all 12 of these operating, it just takes this feeling of repetitiveness all the way. It doesn't get rid of it because we're still human but it releases us into this life of the presence of the glory of Christ. And we just can't wait for the next time we get to do it again. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I know we're a little bit off the clock. But I want to read this to you and then we're going to sing the song. And we're going to close the service by praying for Pastor Jamie and Michelle. Come on, isn't it great to have them here tonight? 2 Kings 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. It says, So Nahum went with his horse and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha. Now he's an Aramean. He's from the the, the kingdom of Aram. He's a powerful military leader there. He has leprosy. And he's heard that there's a man by the name of Elisha who is an Israelite who has the power to heal. And so he gets permission from the king to go and to seek a healing that he needs. So he's waiting at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him. This is a noble man, right? He's he's, he's used to protocol, and protocol is that equals meet equals. You don't send a lesser to a greater. But Elisha, he sends one of his messengers out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry, and he stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus better than any of the rivers here in Israel? Why, I, why should I wash in, wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers, come on, you and I need some friends like this. His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet, the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? so you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times I like that he had to do it over and over there's a lesson in that for us as the man of God had instructed him and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child he didn't just get healed of his leprosy, he got restored to a skin he had not had since he was an infant and he was healed. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Stand with me. We read that story and we say, if I had leprosy, I I wouldn't care what someone would tell me to do. I would just do it. Hey, you and I suffer from a condition on the inside that's far worse than any medical condition that we will ever encounter in this life. It's the condition of our humanity. And so many times, whether we like to agree with it or not, whether we want to admit to it or not, we're naming to God. We're naming. He gives us these pathways. And he says to you and he says to me, if you would only give yourself to this journey, so much of the leprosy of your soul would just get washed away. Father, may it be for each of us as we stand in this place of worship that we would lay aside the heart of Naaman and we would pick up the heart of Christ and we would champion an attitude of deference to you all the days of our lives that the cry of our heart would be, God, as it is your will for me, so let it be all the days that I have left. Whether it be to say no to what I need to say no to or yes to what I need to say yes to, that you are the great Mighty God, you are Jesus, the great and final prophet of the world, and you have instruction that you want to give to us. Whether you speak it to us directly, whether it comes through a servant, whether we read it in your book, that our heart would always only have one answer to you Yes, Lord, be it unto me as you desire. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.
1: There's power.